do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. In this interview, me and Benedict discuss something rarely covered, which honestly surprises me constantly. The profitability of regenerative and non-regenerative farmers. And does a farmer really need transition finance to start or to speed up their regenerative transition? Find out more as we dig deeper, pun definitely intended, into the connection between farm profitability and regenerative agriculture practices. Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food. This is a special dedicated series on transition finance. Why are we recording this series? Many farmers are ready to speed up their regenerative transition. They've looked for learning, done the courses, read the key books, hosted the gurus on their farms, explored farm-sized regenerative designs, and most importantly, started their pilots and feedback loops. This is where transition finance is key. A local bank loan often isn't feasible because of the short duration, lack of flexibility, and the farmer's lack of collateral. Furthermore, there's a limit of how much equity a farmer is able or willing to give away. That is why my co-host, aspiring to be regenerative farmer, Benedict Bösel, and I are embarking on a journey to find out what are the key principles of transition finance for regenerative farmers. We are interviewing leading practitioners in the regenerative agriculture and food finance space. They share their insights how they would finance the speed up of the regenerative transition on Benedict's 1,000 hectares, which is almost 2,500 acres, farm in Germany close to Berlin. This is an open process. We are sharing our lessons through the podcast episodes as we go along. We don't have the answers yet, just a lot of questions. So please share with us any examples of transition finance you've seen, other inspiration, people to interview, etc. Get in touch via the contact page on the website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. That is investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. Welcome, Nicolas Verschuren, co-founder of Soil Capital. And of course, welcome, Benedict Beuzel, my co-host. Hello, Kuhn. Hi, Kuhn. Hi, Nicolas. I'm looking forward to this discussion as we are taking it back to the farm and diving a bit deeper in what a regenerative transition means, both obviously for the farm of Benedict, but also for a lot of farms our guest has seen in his experience. And we're very much looking forward to dive a bit deeper into that. So first of all, I think, Nicolas, could you briefly introduce yourself and Soil Capital? I mean, we've had you actually in a short interview, which we recorded live in Groundswell last year, which is not happening this year, but just a brief introduction into your background so we know who you are, and then we're, we're going to unpack uh, a bit of farming business. Yes, so I am agronomist and we are based in Belgium. I've been passionate about farming since I'm very, very young. And um, I'm involved in, in what we call no regenerative agriculture for the last, uh, let's say, 15, 20 years with my partners here in Belgium, where we are farming, but also now with uh, the soil capital team that we founded with my colleagues, my partner, five years ago. So basically, I'm working in the field as a farmer here in Belgium and as an agronomist outside of Belgium with a soil capital team. And just a brief, I mean, I will share the um, article you just published or just, I think, a month ago, published on farming, profitability, regenerative um, agriculture with, with actually a number of farmers that you're working with in Belgium. Can you give a, a very brief stint of where you are now with soil capital? What is soil capital? We're speaking April 2020. What is Soil Capital currently busy with? We are still focused on how to scale regenerative agriculture across the world, if I may say, how we can participate to that development. We are still involved in several operations, helping farm managers to transition their farm into regenerative agriculture, Latin America, Europe, a little bit in Africa as well. And we are, for the last few months, as you were referring to the article we published a few weeks ago, also trying to explore ways to measure better the way farmers are performing economically and also with another indicator, which is the carbon, to understand how the farmers are able to transition their farm economically and also regarding the carbon balance. We are now working on a tool to help farmers and agronomists 
to understand where they are and how they can improve, how they can benchmark themselves against the local community and how to give them guidelines to transition their farm. So that's one of the focus for the moment with part of the team. Yeah, and if I remember correctly from the article, there was a very interesting connection, I'm not saying correlation, but connection between the profitability and the carbon levels, like the, the farms that had the highest carbon levels in their soil also were the most profitable. Again, not saying that the two are, uh, they're, they're connected, but we don't know what causes what or what other variables are at play. But at least it shows that question that everybody asks constantly, like, can this be done profitably? Yeah, so this is really our guideline at Soil Capital. We are strongly convinced that we can farm more profitably while doing good for nature and storing carbon in the soil. It is clear that this is maybe not the easiest way, but what shows the first results now with around 50, 60 farms that we are working with and that we are analyzing with this tool is that most of the time the farms who are the most profitable are also the most successful at sequestering carbon. It's not always the case, but it means that there are ways to do it. And this is where we are really interested. We want to understand better those farms. We want to uh, also to make those techniques, those examples available for the others. Let me just uh, jump in there real quick, because I think this is, uh, this is such a crucial point you mentioned. You know, the question always is, if it's so good and valuable, why isn't everyone doing it? From the experience that you have speaking to so many farmers, what would you say, what are like the biggest barriers to entry for those farmers starting the transition to more regenerative ways, let's say? I think that there are many reasons, but the main reason for me and for us at Sol Capital, it's the money, the profitability. I think that the f most of the farmers in Europe or in the other continents are struggling. The margin are very thin. And so any additional risk or additional changes that you bring to the farm is putting a high risk on the margin, on the salary of the farmer. And so this is why we really believed that there is a strong connection between the, the capability of a farmer to change and the guarantee or his capability also to generate more revenue, more margin, more profit. For me, it's a big bottleneck. So we are working mostly on the farm and not on the market. So we believe that farmer and a farming operation can be transitioned into regenerative agriculture only if the economics are improved from day one. We already discussed that with Kuhn a few times. And if we want to scale this kind of farming practices, we need to find ways to make it profitable on the very short term. And we can discuss that after if you want to understand how to make it. Yeah, I think it would be great. I mean, people would listen to this and say, yeah, but you just said their profitability is so low now. Farmers on most continents you're working on are struggling. The margins are very thin, indebtedness, policy changes, a lot of different things. So if we don't wait for a market to change in the sense that we start paying more for certain types of regenerative grain or certain types, which is a, a lot of discussions are happening on that space. If you say, okay, let's take it as a given that that's not happening yet, or it would be great if it does, but we cannot control that. So how then do you transition a farmer that is struggling that might be listening to this or somebody that knows a farmer that is listening to this? What are the steps? What are the first steps you, obviously generalizing because it depends on the context, but what are central things, you themes you always see coming back if you work with a farmer in Argentina or you work with a farmer in Belgium? Nicolas, before you answer this question, let me just jump in right there because there's one overall question that lies basically above this. And it's, uh, you can only answer with yes or no, please. This is the task. But everything considered we, we just said and what you're going to answer respective Kuhn's questions, do you think, do you believe farmers need transition finance? Yes or no? No. <laughs> That's what I, I was fearing you might say. But um, no. Why fearing? That's the central theme of the podcast. We're not saying you should. Well, if you take it. Probably, make, yeah. well, probably because we do a, a podcast series on, on transition finance. Because it's, it is a question that is a, a, my, my concern as well. You know, there's, I have two hearts in my chest, if you want. But um, Nicholas, I'd be really interested to hear what, how you would answer Kun's questions because I think they're very, really fundamental. But I just wanted to get that one out. 
You pushed me to answer one word, and of course, this is impossible. This is very restrictive. <laughs> I would say that on my end, I strongly believe that you can transition without external finance. That's more mm -hmm. the answer. But we also understand that if you want to transition massively and fast, that money is necessary to push to help farmers who don't have the enough confidence, enough support, enough whatever. So, yeah, you understand yeah. behind this answer. So what would be the steps then if let's say, let's take it as a given that a um, hypothetical farmer doesn't want to take or cannot take, or is not confident to take outside capital. What's your approach again, depending on the context, but what are some, some general approaches you usually use? Yeah. I think that it's also coming from maybe from the character of the farmers who are normally very independent and self-sustaining. And this is why we are coming from this world also. And this is why there is a, a big part of myself who hate to be supported by somebody else to transition, to do something, to develop your own business, to do your changes. So we've been educated with the subsidy from the European Union and we see where we are now. So this massive amount of money that has been spent with, on my view, not enough changes and or nearly no changes on the ground. So this is why I'm afraid when we talk about financing external hands coming to help the farmer. And this is why our reflex mm. in our company at the beginning and still now is always to say, okay, what are the internal solutions that we can find in the farm with the farmer, with an independent agronomist helping the farmer to, to think and to work on the business more than in the business. And the main lever that we have today are the agrochemicals and the external inputs that are purchased by the farmers. And in most of the farm that we are working with, I would say that this is always the case. There is an overuse. It's maybe not the right word, but uh, the usage of this external input, the, the inputs that are purchased by the farmers are not efficient. And this is where you can start tapping into, trying to get additional dollars or euro, recovering some additional euros and dollars to start financing your own transition. So agrochemicals or external inputs are the first one where you can, from our experience, start saving some money. Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Yeah, I think it's a crucial point you're making. Many farmers, I mean, there, there are two very crucial points. First of all, you said independent agronomists. And obviously that's connected to the input because they are selling that in many countries, some countries that's actually, they're starting to, to decouple that. But many farmers, um, when we talk about farmers, we never talk about their agronomists, but many times they are, they are a team. And if the farmer wants to do something and the agronomist doesn't agree or the other way around, it's very difficult to get any changes. And if you don't have an independent agronomist, obviously they must be paid by someone, meaning they're paid by the input companies. And I always see it as, I don't know, Shell or any other oil company is going to help me save petrol or like, look, we're, we're selling you something that you're going to use less of. That probably doesn't happen. So that means that there is extra space, like they're selling you extra inputs if they want it or not. Then maybe they use a recipe that's not, not perfect for your farm. So you're saying there is always space or there seem to be usually space in the inputs that are coming into the farm. And that's the first lever you have to reduce that without hurting your yields and thus reducing your cost basically directly and thus having some extra space, some extra margin, some extra money in the bank that you can use for, for pilots, for your regenerative transition financed by yourself. Right. I think you're explaining that much better than me. <laughs> there is another point also, because to convince a farmer that he could use his input more efficiently, it's tough because there is in general a relationship of dependency or trust also, history between the farmer and um, his advisor. And the farmer, because he's in a risky situation, in a very low margin business, he has is in general very reluctant to change any of the ingredients that he has around him. He knows that if he's changing something, there is a high risk that the plus 5% of margin or the plus 3% of margin he's doing will be transformed into a minus 
two or three or five very quickly. So by definition, in a situation where he's, he's afraid to change any of those ingredients. And one of the things, this is why we are working now, focusing on dashboard, on metrics more than ever, is that the farmers, in terms of economic, doesn't have a, a clear view on what's happening on the farm. The farm is a complex system with a lot of interactions, and the farmer is also super busy at making the operation going well. The paperwork has been increased more and more the last few years. So there are a lot of farmers who doesn't know about their production costs. They know about the yields, they know about the acreage, they know about many things. But when it comes to calculate and to really understand the production costs and to ben- with the idea to benchmark that and to have a discussion with others to understand where they are, to understand where they can improve, it's very rare. And so this is where we are working now, uh, trying to define and to help the farmer to understand better his figures economical figures first and operational figures after. But could you go a bit more into depth to the actual discussion you have with the farmer? Basically, you drive on the farm, you have a tour, you discuss certain things and, and try to get a feeling and understanding of the process and system that, that that particular farmer is running. But how is the talk developing between the two of you? How are you trying to convince them? How are you trying to change his thinking because i mean this is what it in the end of the day is right i mean you can tell him look you can reduce this and that and this might have this or that effect but doesn't he really have to kind of experience it and see it and live through it in order to then be open to changing really or taking that risk can you explain a bit more on that the actual process of talking and communicating with the farmer and convincing i guess yeah so maybe um We are fortunate for the moment to work with farmers who are coming to us with this first step of being convinced that something has to be done, is already done, it is already achieved. Thanks to uh, people uh, like Kuhn uh, or other who are trying to, to explain uh, and to communicate to farmers and other people of the community what's happening and the benefit, there are now more and more people who are questioning their system. So I think that's one thing. Step one is done. Yeah, something needs to change. But then the question is what yeah, and how? Yeah, most of the time we, we don't have to preach and then start convincing. Luckily, because that's very tiring. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that it's easy because as I was saying, the economical situation balance of the farm is most of the time, I would say always very tight. So the margin is, is, is not, uh, not important. But again, the first discussion that uh, we have with the farmer, it's a uh, It's a very simple discussion about economics and say, okay, you know about the principle of regenerative agriculture. We know that we have to limit the tillage. We know that we have to cover the soil and blah, blah, blah. This is quite clear for everybody. How can we start implementing some of those principles into your farm without adding additional costs? And one of the principles uh, of the regenerative agriculture, again, it's trying to decrease, to optimize the usage of agrochemical. We know that uh, fungicide, insecticide, in particular, damageable for the, the soil and um, the ecosystem and the biodiversity. So this is the first discussion we have. What sort of fungicide, what sort of insecticide are you using on your farm? And as I was saying just before, this is the first way to optimize because I can say that in most of the cases, We can start saving by just using those input better between 10 and, and 30, 40% of those uh, agrochemicals. So that's the first step. So, so just to summarize, you're saying that most farms you meet are overusing or are not using efficiently. So they could save between 10 and 30 to 40% of their, let's say, chemical input insecticides yeah. and fungicides, which is a lot of money because that's cash out of the door in, in a second, basically. And these are farmers that are already aware of soil, etc. So they're probably yeah. not even the ones that are wasting the most. And it's coming from different uh, factors. So you have first the way you're using the pesticides. And I know that it can be shocking for people who are listening about regenerative agriculture, wants to go into regenerative agriculture, who have been inspired by Kuhn and, and the other. That the first discussion you have with uh, an agronomist from Soil Capital is to talk about the, the fungicide. But that's reality. That's where we start. Yeah. And The quality of application, the way you're applying pesticides is definitely one of the big factors to improve it. You would be surprised to see, to understand how many farmers today want to change, doesn't really, uh, they haven't been 
informed uh, that there are ways to apply those uh, chemicals where you can really save quantity, the quality of the water you're using, the, the, the climate when you're applying, the type of molecule that are not always the same. That's one thing. The second thing is the way they are purchasing because most of the farmers are working on a very individual base. So they are not negotiating the, their price. They are, they are buying alone and they're not using the, the group effect, the, the group power to buy in a more efficient way. So we are also trying to, in places like Belgium, for example, where we have, we have more farmers or in other places, uh, to group the farmers together to try to, to help them to buy better because this is nothing to do with the regenerative agriculture principle, but this is also a good way to start uh, saving some money. And connecting the farmers to each other. Yeah, connecting the farmers around one vision. And by the way, you can also connect farmers in this case who are not interested about regenerative agriculture, but who are coming to you because they are interested just to save money. And this is a probably a, you create a good momentum to start discussing not only about pesticides and tenders and group purchase, but talking about soil and soil health. And that's a second way to save money. And once you've saved your 20 to 60, 70 euro per hectare in a grain grain operation or in, a, in, in Argentina or in Belgium, France, or uh, even in Africa, you start collecting some money, you have a budget to start investing for the longer term. And the longer term for me is your cover crop. That's one thing that the farmers generally don't want to step in because it's an additional cost. So most of the time, they're just following the rules, the local legislation. So, okay, I'm going to do a very, I'm, I'm forced uh, in Europe to plant some cover crops. So I'm going to do some mustards. Five kilo per hectare, ten euros per hectare, and it's it's going to be I'm going to be okay with the legislation, but they will have no effect on the soil. And with this additional money, you can you can convince the farmers. Okay, let's invest a part of your saving uh, that we just achieved with your chemicals <clears throat> into a better cover crop because <clears throat> this is something that will pay in the in the coming years. And maybe. Let's do it really seriously and let's do it only on 10% of your acreage with a very good uh, uh, multi-species cover crop so that we push the, the, we increase the chance to really have a, a, a fast payback and a fast uh, uh, observation that you can, you, can, you can see in the field. And, that, and that's, that's a second step. And another part of the, this longer term uh, this, uh, uh, effect is also to, to start talking with the farmers about the rotation and most of the farmers are not producing some crop that are less profitable and with an additional budget that you're creating with these uh, input savings you can you can convince also the farmers okay let's start uh, producing again some oats or some um, barley or some uh, legumes uh, that you you were not producing for the last few years because it's not the most profitable uh, crop uh, on the short term, and let's reintroduce some 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 of those crop on one hectare, five hectares, ten hectares, um, just to understand uh, that those crop, this additional crop, will 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 have an effect also on on your soil and on your production cost on the longer term. So that's the that's the way uh, um, to prime the pump. Uh, and to, to step into uh, into the, the journey of uh, regenerative farming, and 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 um, and the good news is that in most of the case, uh, uh, the, the the farmer after one year, one year and a half, two years, uh, when the pump uh, is starting to to work, uh, you don't need to push them anymore. They, they, there is they start seeing more clearly than us uh, where their system is going. And, and most of the time they will come back to you and say, okay, actually uh, I've increased uh, before you asked me the acreage of, uh, uh, of uh, cover crop, I've started to share some equipment with my neighbor and, and, and the, the motivation is coming, is coming back. So that's a general average observation that we have with the, the, the different clients. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. I think that was quite interesting because it shows the different ways to go at it. You mentioned long-term. So when you talk about that transition phase, what kind of time span are you thinking of? This is really a discussion, and a, depending on the, the people, uh, because um, 
you have you have many farmers who are, uh, as I was saying, not able to uh, to transition fast because they don't want to to increase the risk. Uh, they don't have the money. Uh, so uh, in, in this case, uh, the, the the long term is I would say um, uh, between three, five, seven years, uh, where you can really uh, uh, say, okay, I've been now. I'm I'm, I'm really ticking the boxes of all the principle of regenerative agriculture. Um, even if it's not binary, uh, there is always, it's always a little bit blur, but uh, you, you can, you can, we can agree that you are into this, this system. Uh, some of the, some of the uh, farmer we are working with are uh, more, uh, uh, are interested to go faster uh, because they have a, um, they want to finance that themselves. So they say, okay, I, I understand that I'm putting my operation with a high risk. Uh, I'm ready to finance that. Um, and this is uh, uh, maybe where uh, external finance or additional farmer uh, finance can, can, can help. And then, then you, can, you can go faster. Uh, and, and I would say in three years, you can, you can probably uh, make big steps in, uh, in, these, uh, in these transition. I would say that our preference in the soil capital environment uh, ecosystem is to go, uh, uh, as I was saying, without external finance, without um, uh, having the farmer uh, forced to tap into uh, savings, uh, without uh, having uh, the farmers forced to, to take uh, high risk. Because, um, um, yeah, of course, there, there are many risks around the, 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 the farm, the farming system. The climate is there, the, the, the market as well. And, and if you're not in the right, uh, in the right, um, mo at the right moment, you can, you can really uh, uh, take a, a serious hit if you want to go too fast. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I answer answer your question, but let's say three five years. And what what we have to uh, to to remember, I think, is that uh, we we don't we don't accept the fact that those three, five years would be years with less um, profitability than the year minus one, minus two, uh, minus three. So that's the, that's the main rule for us. I think this is so crucial. And you mentioned earlier on that it's also about developing KPIs and having strong numbers to relate to and to go back to and to analyze throughout like a, a certain time span throughout that transition because you know the thing is like how do you define success after a couple of years i mean obviously you have a shovel and you will probably hopefully see but on the economic side you know if farmers are not that aware of the economics especially regarding production costs like how can they actually tell obviously other than what they see outside and i think because what we often come across when we have visitors here we give them a farm tour basically and look at some of those uh, agroforestry systems and you know most of the farmers often come around the area and they are all aware of the, the problems that we have with you know regarding drought regarding erosion wind erosion water erosion extreme weather conditions and nearly all of them say well i think agroforestry is amazing i think there's a huge potential there but none of them will ever start implementing anything if they don't have reliable calculations to work with right so i think it's so crucial and in the beginning, you spoke about, you know, scaling regenerative ag. And I mean, this is, you know, why, why, why Kuhn and me are doing this, because we believe we have to and we need to, and this could be a part of it. But the question is the whole, the scientific as well as the, the numeric, how do you solve monitoring of those processes is, I don't know how you see that, but that sometimes it's coming a bit short. So we need those reliable numbers. So I think, you know, thinking about KPIs, thinking about ways of actually making that transition somehow be reflected in numbers and experiences, I think that's going to be so crucial for the next couple of development phases, I guess. Yes, and, and on that point, I, I, I come back on, on, on what we're trying to, to develop now, this tool that, that we've called My Soul Capital. I will link to it below for in the show notes for anybody who wants to check it out. It, it came it came from a frustration internal frustration as well to not being able to to monitor ourselves ourselves and to to uh, also to to increase uh, our the capability to convince farmer and to to drive farmer in the right direction 
so it was a it is a tool for the agronomist mostly for the farm manager uh, and and we've decided to oversimplify today uh, the system and the, and the KPIs uh, to talk as I was saying first about the the, the cost of production and to analyze where uh, where is good where is not good where, where you can improve compared to your peers and the second part is the carbon and we believe that today uh, in a very simplistic way uh, all the different KPIs of the regenerative agriculture principle uh, could be summarized in this uh, carbon uh, balance we, we believe today uh, it's very restrictive I agree and we are working on other uh, metrics uh, to, 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 to make that a little bit more uh, uh, complete. But uh, we believe that uh, if you do a carbon balance of the farm uh, at feed level, uh, you, will, you will have a very good idea of how many tons of carbon you're sequestering in your, in your soil, basically, because this is the only way for the farmer to, uh, to sequester. You have also, uh, with the carbon balance, a, a quite good intent idea of what sort of intensity in, uh, in terms of input, nitrogen usage, external nitrogen you're using. So we believe that it's a good, uh, it's a good metric. And um, uh, this is, uh, as, as you were uh, saying, Benedict, I, I think we see, we see this uh, kind of tool of metric very necessary uh, to, go, uh, to go faster, uh, to, to, to limit the risk. Uh, as well, um, to be able to communicate, to be able to yeah, to talk with your neighbor, to compare yourself with other, and just much better than 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 of course uh, counting the earthworms or go, uh, doing a tour uh, of the farm with your neighbor, uh, which is very important as well to maybe to 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 start the journey. But um, we also have to 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 understand that today there are many farmers who understand. The principles, or even very conventional farmers, who, who knows that, but they they, they don't know uh, where they are, uh, and they don't know. And year after, year after year, they see this this transition, this transition in three, four, five, seven years, and it's very important that the farmer can year after year understand that he made a few percentage of effort there, and there is a few kilos of nitrogen more. And of, of CO2 more sequestered, and and there, there are a few euros saved on, on the other part, and 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 I think that, yeah, uh, we need to see. We believe uh, that we need to see uh, to be to be much more granular uh, in, in in the future to to accompany the, this this uh, this farmer into this transition. Yeah, and you said something very interesting there. I mean, a lot of very interesting points, but the peer part, because it's so far, I mean, people can come to, can visit a farm, do a farm tour, visit Benedict or somebody else that has been doing pieces of the regenerative transition, is increasing cover crops, etc. But if you can see that your neighbor or somebody down the road who has very similar weather, obviously, unless you have an enormous farm, maybe in Australia, yeah. but is doing much better financially with just just between brackets because it's obviously not just but just a different management and actually being financially much more profitable normally maybe you would have seen it because somebody bought a new car etc but if you can actually benchmark yourself with somebody down the road that is in the same system as you or the same context how powerful is that can you explain a bit that peer part of this journey yeah um, again uh, it starts from the farm and the fact that the farmers are uh, for me uh, too isolated uh, because of uh, many reasons, uh, the, the, the workload, uh, the, the, the fact that, uh, yeah, they, they, they are independent and uh, the, the, the land uh, also competition uh, with, the, with the neighbors. So most of the farmers will not uh, easily uh, discuss about figures uh, like economic. No, they discuss about yield. Everybody's always... Like I did, yeah. but nobody ever discusses the cost part to that. Yeah, and I think it's 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 difficult to to share that that kind of information with your neighbor. Most mostly, if you if if you you're trying to to uh, to hope that you you can buy the the, the land of the neighbor uh, in the future, uh, because there is so much competition of the land on the land. Uh, that's another discussion, but I think it's coming also from the system and, and the way we are farming. So how do you overcome that? that fear of sharing my profitability or my numbers? 
just by in this tool, just by aggregating the results of the neighbor, we are uh, the data are protected. So you can see the results of your farm because that's part of the, the exercise. And together with the results of the of your farm, you're gonna see the average uh, result of your uh, of the farmers of your of your of the region of your region. And you can define the perimeter if you want to have a close uh, radius of a big or bigger radius. And also, we've we've extracted uh, the the best twenty five percent in terms of cost of production. So you're going to see that as well. But you don't know which one it is. You cannot obviously on privacy reasons. It's a bit like the I think they did it for energy use in in households somewhere. I don't remember where in the US. Like you've been using on average, like you got a smiley. You've been using less than your average household in your neighborhood, or you've been using a lot more. And they actually saw that people adjusted to that peer pressure of the peers they didn't know or they couldn't identify. But it's that's very interesting. Yeah, and basically, it's not it's not adding much to understand uh, who are the people behind the the, the big farmers. Of, uh, by it can be interesting for your curiosity, but I think that the moment you understand that you are better or uh, worse than, than the best, and um, if, if you if you through the analysis of the, those uh, information you can understand why you are better or uh, uh, worse, uh, that's that's for us already uh, interesting and powerful enough to make people thinking and to make agronomists uh, and farm manager uh, changing their the, the way they are uh, they are operating. No, it's extremely powerful. And what are the next steps for this? I mean, you said simplified i think a number of times that you can make it more complex but you're mostly i mean the article i think i think is mostly or the, the first pilot is mostly on belgium and what are your your plans with this my soil capital with this dashboard with this service is it open to all farmers should people call if they're in spain if they're east of berlin like benedict what's the current status and the plan so the plan on the very short term is to continue the development of the the tool in a close radius around us because we have access to farmers and we can co-develop with farmers that we know, uh, fine-tune the tool. Uh, France, uh, Belgium, uh, on the medium term, a few months, uh, we'll translate the tool uh, in English so that we can extend the perimeter uh, because we have uh, a few uh, a few farmers and farmers association in, in UK, uh, for example, who are interested to uh, to start discussing uh, about uh, the, the, these, uh, these dashboards. Um, that's that's on the on the perimeter. Um, we are uh, also discussing with uh, a few companies uh, related to agriculture or not uh, who wants to uh, uh, who see carbon and carbon sequestration uh, as a, as something interesting. So. Uh, in parallel, we are trying to build uh, a discussion uh, with these people to see if, at some point in the future, they could uh, they could come with extra financing uh, for farmers to reward uh, the farmers who wants to go uh, uh, who did a good job or wants to go faster. Uh, and what we also uh, are aiming to do in the in the short term is to. Um, to, to come with additional uh, indicators uh, to complete uh, the carbon picture uh, with uh, indicators like uh, just to make to to be to be for the agronomist or the farmer who analyzes his information to understand where uh, he should uh, why is better why is is not uh, as good as the the best. Uh, uh, producers so uh, the rotation uh, diversity the usage of certain in uh, agrochemicals uh, the land uh, uh, coverage uh, the soil disturbance um, we are work we have already the, the fuel consumption uh, and the number of hours spent in the tractors uh, so we are working on, on those uh, those information uh, also to to, to to make the discussion between the agronomist and the farmer or us and the farmer uh, richer and, and more uh, clear in terms of uh, what should you change in your operation if you want to reach the best uh, performer. 
just having, having a question, um, wanting to hear your view on this, maybe also on a long term, because the whole discussion on carbon sequestration and, and earning basically additional income for farmers if they do store more carbon in the soil, it has such an incredible hype. Obviously, Terratron and, uh, and Indigo, they are pushing it on that sort of international level. But I mean, there's like, I wouldn't know about 10 to 15 different groups that are trying to build a business around this idea. And I've spoken to quite a few of those. And often it's young people who are incredibly well gifted and they come from an interdisciplinary approach. And I mean, what I always tell them, or what I try to show them is that just focusing on carbon, we tend to, I believe, I mean, I don't know, but I, I believe we, we tend to do the same kind of mistake that we, we usually try to do it. Because we are talking about a complex ecosystem, right? And, and carbon is, is one of many. And if we think about monetizing something else, you know, but what I think we should do, what, what farmers are bringing, to, you know, to the ecosystem, but also to us as, as people in general, don't we have to look at it, you know, much, much broadly and, and think about all those different ecosystem functions where aesthetics, for example, is a part of as well as, as well as a social component. Um, and like, Obviously, you know, the whole carbon thing is, is much easier to, to, uh, to um, yeah, what do you call it, like um, um, to capture, I guess, um, and then monetize it. But don't we have to look at a, a much bigger picture and don't we have to do today in order to, you know, develop the, the solution sooner than later? What's your view on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to answer that in the team because we have a, a, one, one person who is working on that uh, more than me, but what I what I can see, fully agree with you. Carbon is a very restrictive way of uh, measuring um, the performance of a, of a of a farm, uh, and and any farmer could, any tricky farmer could uh, think uh, very quickly how to store carbon without being regenerative at all, and and how to do it fast. So I agree with you that uh, this is something that uh, is not enough. Uh, to measure or to classify farms. But I think that, remember that the price of the carbon today is very low. So it's it will not be uh, with the price of carbon of CO2 of 15, 20, 25, even 30 euro per ton sequestered. And when you, when, when you understand that uh, uh, a, a, a regenerative farm probably will, will sequester between two and three, four tons per hectare per year, uh, it, it makes it makes uh, less than or around 100 euro per hectare of difference, which is for me totally, absolutely not enough uh, to make uh, to make people to change. Um, uh, it can help, uh, but uh, it's not enough. So I I, I believe that uh, 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 together with this carbon thing, uh, we we will uh, in the future. Uh, discuss with uh, sophisticated companies, impact investors, or uh, people in the farm farming ecosystems, where that that will that we understand that the carbon is a good metric, but but together with the carbon, there are many other benefits that could be attached, like the biodiversity, like the soil erosion, like the water uh, quality, a little bit. Uh, like Yaron uh, Klomper, and they're, they're they're trying to to measure this natural benefits and quantify and, and and make it more also valuable so i believe that in our in our developed country uh, we will have opportunity uh, and farmers will have opportunity to uh, to be paid more for additional services and uh, i'm not i'm, I'm not uh, uh, obsessed by 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 receiving more from external companies as i was saying at the beginning but I think that it will it will make uh, things uh, more clear for external uh, for people outside of farming that 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 carbon is not is not everything and and I think that this this will will help uh, this carbon discussion to be a little bit more richer the certification to be also more a little bit more sophisticated uh, in the future and more reward rewarding for farmers who want to, to change or making efforts uh, for those who need uh, that extra money. Um, so, but I, I understand, but I, I still think that the carbon sequestration measure uh, is, is, is probably not the less, the less worst entry point. 
Yeah, just FYI, we're going to interview Jeroen Klompe, founder of Soy Heroes, soon on the podcast. So you should be, if you're listening to this, I don't know when there could be an interview already online, so you can check it out. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, because and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Although I do think that when you refer to third-party capital, let's say, I think there is quite a lot to come, and not necessarily in a transition finance way, but like just realizing, you know, what what we are in our little bubble here in in and around Berlin, and the companies that we are in contact with, and even people, you know, who, who are we in contact with. There's such an incredible um, value, and there's such an incredible yeah also sense of value and understanding of you know the kind of things that we try to do here on the farm and why we're trying to do it so the, the companies large companies yeah, we just got a message you remember right even from a right exactly person yesterday through the website i want to do a shout out to jens thank you very much for the message i sent it to benedict somebody reached out that wants to donate some money to plant a number of hedgerows because he's a beekeeper sees the biodiversity going down and wants to donate some money to Benedict. And we're, we're going to figure out how to increase biodiversity. Very small example, but it, it does show there is something happening on, on that front, both small and, and big. Yeah. And I think, you know, letting people take part in, in the experiences that we have, being outside, planting the trees themselves, that, that brings an immediate connection to the space. It, 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 it even has some spiritual element of, of well-being for those kind of people. And it's even for companies. So I think, you know, there is actually great potential for farmers to also think in that direction. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to, to give a statement there in this, this, this way, because I think, you know, we, we can be really positive about farming and we can be really positive about the way that we're trying to develop into um, you know, because we're doing good stuff. I mean, you know, biodiversity is growing. You know, the country is, is the countryside is thriving. The nature is thriving. Um, it, it just makes sense, and people realize that, and people value that. So, I am actually really positive about that. Yeah, I, I maybe uh, I've been too extreme, but, but we have uh, the time is limited, so it's difficult to 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 discuss about all all the exceptions or small case and and and, and, and we at Soul Capital we're working with uh, large scale farmers most of the time so the connection with the uh, uh, people the connection with the consumers are completely mm -hmm. lost uh, so uh, people who are heavily subsidized come seeing the, the money coming back from the community through uh, subsidies and so on so it. Uh, Clearly, there are different kind of agriculture, and and just to give the example of our small operations in in Belgium, my partner uh, and I are farming on a on a small small area. Uh, he has a butchery, um, and there is a strong connection with the with the local community. Uh, and I I I, I, I I I clearly value also the fact that in a very at a very local scale, like like the one we have in Belgium. Uh, you can you can create a, a very interesting impact, uh, and the, the the people, the consumers, uh, can really help the farmer to to develop uh, uh, the the or to to, to transition, uh, and 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 they are much more uh, rewarding and and less uh, uh, I would say uh, uh, skeptical and difficult than what you could think while reading the newspaper or Facebook and so on, they will understand that sometime in a conventional farm, you're going to use some glyphosate, for example, uh, or they will understand that uh, you cannot be uh, working 100% uh, on, on, on feed coming from the farm uh, because you're not uh, producing all the protein uh, yet. And they will understand clearly that uh, your vision and the direction you want to take uh, and that you cannot go there in one day. So all of this, I think it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, those are meaningful example and necessary uh, um, experience and pilot uh, to, to, to be ahead of the curve and to influence the other. But uh, for the large scale farming that we are, uh, where we are involved, uh, mostly uh, at Soil Capital or bigger farmer, uh, I'm not talking about only people who got 1,000 hectares or 2,000 hectares, but a, a, a farm of 150 hectares or 100 hectares in Belgium or in France today, it's, it's, a, it's a big operation who is selling 
90% or 99% on commoditized uh, on the commodity market, uh, produce, producing wheat, export to export, and, and meat to export, and milk to export. Uh, and so this is another discussion. And we haven't discussed about markets, and that I think is was not the purpose of the discussion. But clearly, there is another part of, a, of our uh, of our efforts at Sol Capital uh, to work on the market and how to decommoditize in the future uh, all those uh, the, the, those production and and, and 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 work with clients to do that. But that's another that's another step, another additional revenue, another financing way to 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 accelerate the transition uh, that we can definitely explore in another discussion. But today, I think that what I wanted to highlight is really the fact that. Uh, with the current market, with the current system, how can we improve at FarmGate without talking about uh, uh, the additional revenue that can be generated by such an uh, initiative? Yeah, and I want to thank you for that. Being conscious of your time, we definitely will come back on the market piece and another time. I think we we always end up at the, about an hour and, and feeling, I, f- I at least feel that we scratched the surface, uh, pun definitely intended. And talking about scratching the surface, Benedict has to go because he has to pick up 600 chickens. <laughs> We're going to scratch a lot of surface. Baby chickens. So it's a, it's a very exciting day. It's a very exciting day. Uh, baby chickens, yeah. So I want to thank you so much, Nicolas, for sharing. Um, you've been on the podcast in a very short forum. Luckily, we had more time this time to go deeper. Still not enough, obviously, because there's so much knowledge and so much you've seen and you've done in the space. But thank you for coming on, sharing your knowledge, your experience, your opportunities, your doubts, etc. And uh, We'll be in touch. Thank you, Kuhn, and thank you, Benedict. And really, congratulations for the work you're doing because, as I was saying during the podcast, we see the value of that while having clients or farmers calling us. We've been in touch. We've been uh, in touch or touched by messages, by information, or bringing us to think about changing our system. So you're, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for that. Right on, Kuhn. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode, which is part of the Transition Finance series, trying to find appropriate transition finance to speed up regenerative agriculture on farms. For feedback, ideas, suggestions, please contact us through Twitter or via the contact page on the website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com. Please share this episode with a friend and give us a five-star rating, which really helps others to find the podcast. All the episodes of the series can be found on the website and in your podcast app. Thank you and see you next time.